It is great to see you this morning. Our, uh, our servers are going to collect our offering, and we appreciate your generosity in that, and thank you for, for being here. And uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you, you probably don't know, because there's a lot that happens behind the scenes, and those announcement videos, we make those like a couple of months in advance, and we kind of plan out. And one of the things that we uh, did not plan for, John just did a great setup to set up me today and, and uh, preach in a series. I'm not preaching today, so that's a surprise for you, but, uh, uh, but we've got a very special guest speaker that I know you're going to love to hear, and uh, I'm going to introduce him in just a second. But before I do that, I know we've got a lot of announcements. It's a busy time of the year, and uh, not, to, not to pile on, but I do want to remind you, it is that time of the year where we are going to be preparing to vote on our proposed 2024 budget and leadership candidates. And if you would like to take a look at that, uh, we have those available out in the lobby. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, we need you to reach out to some of the leadership so you can contact the church office, talk to uh, one of the elders. We can get you uh, connected with them. And we, we need that done before we take the vote, which will be in two weeks from now. So uh, please be sure to look that over, and we're really looking forward to what the next year has in store. Uh, also, you know, we've been mentioning this for a few weeks as we get into uh, a lot of giving back opportunities. We're going to have a lot of service opportunities. If you uh, would, would be so, uh, so inclined to help us serve those around us. We're going to have a lot of opportunity to do that, and I know you won't remember all these, but uh, December 16th, we have a, our Shop with a Cop. We would love to have some volunteers here for that, uh, just welcoming people. Uh, the 19th, we're going to be delivering the backpacks. Those We, we uh, gave out 220 of those backpacks, so uh, as you guys bring those back in, we're going to be delivering those in just, uh, just a, a short amount of time. Also on the 20th, we, we could use some help packing food boxes downtown at 4th Street Live, and uh, on December 22nd, we'd have to pick up boxes, and we'll be distributing those, so all that'll be in an email that we're going to send out this week. If you'd like to sign up, uh, you can respond to the email, or we'll have physical sign-ups next weekend out in the lobby, and uh, also, as we mentioned, the Polar Express is this Saturday, and we gave out 1,100 tickets in a week. We have 200 people on a waiting list. So if you happen to take tickets and your plans have changed, please uh, let us know because we've got about 200 people who would love to take your seat if you're not going to be here. Uh, so please, please let us know about that. We, uh, we're really looking forward. It's going to be a really fun evening this Saturday. Uh, looking forward to that. Now, I mentioned we got a, a guest speaker today, and, uh, and you really are going to be blessed today. Uh, this, this gentleman, he was a uh, professor at Lincoln Christian University. Most recently, he's been on staff at Northside with our friends at Northside Christian Church over in New Albany. And he's uh, just, a, just a wonderful, wonderful pastor, theologian, and uh, has become a friend as well. And so would you just give a really warm, Fairdale Christian welcome to Neil Wyndham. Now, this, this is a downer, but there's an upside to it. In the last 25 years, 40 million people have left the church in America. I don't know that you were aware of that. We noticed during COVID and after COVID, things were really shifting. They were starting to change. 40 million people 
have walked away either from the church or Jesus or both. Really, to walk away from one is to walk away from the other. The Lord loves the church. The Lord died for the church. Here's the good news in the midst of that. 52%, and these guys surveyed 7,000 people. 52% of the people who've walked away are just waiting for someone to say, would you come to church with me? They've indicated on the surveys, we'll come back if somebody will invite us. Tis the season. <laughs> Tis the season, beacon of hope, in this community for us to be inviting people back into the Lord's church. A friend of mine keeps reminding me that time spent in inner renewal is never wasted because God is not in a hurry, but oh, how we seem to be. And somehow in this season, it seems like that's amped up all the more, which is why I want us to consider one simple text from Luke 2. I love singing Christmas music this morning. What is it? December 3rd, we're already singing the music. Why do we, why do we keep that music away so long? The best music of all. Man, I want to be singing it all year, and sometimes I do, and I get in trouble with my family, my wife, my kids. I used to put it on in August. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. And as it gets closer, it seems like we hurry more and more and more. But Luke 2, verses 36 and 37, they take us back to the right pace. There was also a prophet, Anna the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. Here's what I want you to catch this morning. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Word of the Lord. Long ago, my family and I huddled, my goodness, there's a seat here, I might use it if my bifocals will let me see what I'm trying, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> Brandon, you don't wear bifocals, I take it. Long ago, my family and I huddled around the radio early one morning. We lived in uh, the prairies of central Illinois at the time, and it was winter, and there had been bad icing, and they reported all kinds of snow was going to fall, although it never really came. And I had a fifth grader, or a sixth grader, I guess, and I had one who was a freshman in high school. And we gathered for our little liturgy, our little ritual there that morning around the radio, waiting for the announcer to come on and say that school was canceled. <laughs> and you know, it's a cruel thing when... When uh, the high schooler, yeah, school's canceled. We don't want our high schoolers out on these roads in their cars, okay? But my little girl, sixth grader, school was not canceled. Some of her classmates didn't get this message, however, because on the way to school, I noticed them laughing and giggling and sledding and playing around, having a great time. And you know, that's a wonderful thing to do, and all the kids get to do that on Saturday. 
But that is not nearly as satisfying as doing it on a Wednesday <laughs> or a Thursday, Friday. So poor Carice had to go to school. It's too bad, I thought. These students wanted a change. They want a break of some kind. They wanted to be playful. They wanted to build a snowman and maybe even go sledding, as some of them were doing, just for a day. But it didn't happen for Carice. You know, we love change, don't we? Americans love change. We like our vacations. If we're in school, we want field trips, spring break, weddings. We just love change. We want excitement. We want some kind of adventure to come into our boring lives and wake us up with some big surprise. Uh, folks in this part of the country love to talk about the seasons and how much we love the change in weather. Fall comes, you know, and those leaves are turning, and we love that. But I have noticed this, and I actually am one of these people now. When we get to 65, it all seems to change because everybody's headed to Florida and <laughs> South Texas, and maybe, maybe we don't like those changes as much as we say. We buy televisions with remote controls and we become experts at channel surfing. We get new houses. We like change. We change our careers. Did you know this? As many as six or seven times in our adult lifetime. Not just jobs, but careers on average. Now, on the one hand, I, you know, we've got to have variety. God created incredible variety. He placed it right here in the creation itself. But on the other hand, I wonder sometimes in the midst of all of our busy activity whether we can be still enough, long enough, to create a space that's large enough to examine our lives, our commitments, our relationships, Really, I'm asking this question this morning. Is it possible we prefer the illusion of change over what I'll call the substance of solitude? Consider the life of Anna, this prophetess. She was likely married at 14. They married very early back in Jesus' day. And she was widowed somewhere around 21 and she offered her life to God for at least the next 63 years. And depending upon how you translate the Greek, maybe 84 years. Some people think she lived to be 106. Worshiping in the temple daily. You know? And sometimes I get upset if the preacher goes along and the Methodists and the Baptists beat me to Golden Corral. You know? <laughs> yeah. And she was fasting all the time. And I don't want to miss a meal, you know. And she was praying her heart out day after day, night and day, for the coming of the Messiah to rescue her people. And sometimes I've had trouble with an hour-long prayer meeting. And we say, what a strange life Anna led. Always fasting, always praying, never going on a cruise, never a vacation, Maybe not even a short-term missions trip. I don't know. Quite literally, the text says she never left the temple. And I'm just trying to imagine in my mind's eye somebody who'd never been to Walmart. 
you know? This is, this is strange. Of course, Anna is not the only person who ever spent time in that Jewish temple. In particular, Jesus spent a lot of time there. He was born in Bethlehem, but never left. nevertheless, he was uh, met by Anna in Jerusalem there at the temple when he was a little baby. And later, his parents thought he was lost when they were going home after a celebration at the temple. And they circled back and found him, as he said, where I belong. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. The temple was the center of worship in ancient Jewish culture. It's, it's why today people uh, talk about longing for a temple, you know? When I keep reading the text, you get over into Acts and, well, in, in Luke, every day Jesus was teaching in the temple. Chapter 19, verse 47. And each day he was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him where? At the temple. Luke 21. When Jesus was arrested, he said to the chief priests, Every day I was with you where? In the temple courts, you didn't lay a hand on me and you show up now? His disciples followed him to the temple. That's where we read about it in the book of Acts. The eleven stayed continually at the temple praising God. They're not hiding in a corner somewhere. They're bold with their faith. They're worshiping in the temple. That's what people did at the temple. The text of Acts says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And their enemies were right there. And they were talking about Jesus as they worshipped at the temple. So what did it matter to Anna that she should worship at the temple all those years? Maybe it was the sacrifices. Maybe it was the fact that sins were being atoned for. Or maybe it was the teaching because the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they camped out at the temple. And that's what they did at the temple. They did a lot of teaching, which is why Jesus used the temple courts as a place for his teachings because the people were there. But you know, more than anything, I suspect, and I'm just, I'm just paying attention to what Luke says, I think it was about worship for Anna. She had a heart that was sold out and entirely devoted to God. The grammar suggests that fasts and intercessory prayers were merely the means by which she offered her life up to God in regular acts of worship. I wonder sometimes if Anna wasn't a precursor to what we read about from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5.5 when he says... The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. I think that's Anna. Occasionally, I hear folks moan and complain thinking heaven's going to be boring. After all, spending eternity worshiping God sounds to a lot of us maybe a little bit one-sided. We 
we like to have our moments for ourselves. And I must confess, in my weaker moments, especially as a kid, I wondered, how are you going to pull this off, God, forever and ever? Amen? What surprises could there possibly continue to be if heaven's worship is anything like my deep concern for me? <laughs> you know, it was just way too selfish. That's the way I would catch myself thinking. And there's very little room for astonishment there. But I wonder what Moses would have to say to me at the sight of the burning bush. How about you? Or Elijah at Mount Carmel when he calls down fire from heaven and it laps up this offering. Or Elisha at the, height of the, at the sight of a, an axe head that's floating down the river. That's strange. Simon Peter, who was told to eat possum and polecat, you know, that's, that sheep that dropped down from heaven, all these unclean animals, eat that, rise, kill, and eat. No way, Lord. I have paid attention to the Levitical Code. I know about this, this uh, dietary, uh, these scruples that you've made for us. But God says, this is a sign I've accepted the Gentiles. And that's how he caught Peter's attention. I wonder how it was for 5,000 hungry people who'd been following and listening to Jesus and had been healed by Jesus, but they're hungry now. Five loaves and two fishes. Have you ever tried to envision how that happened? Where did this come from? See, all of these are moments of worship. I, I love these words from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth is crammed with heaven, every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I suppose that was a thing back in her day. It doesn't seem to be in mine. I wonder what Anna saw and heard over the course of 63 years in the temple what she felt, what she tasted. I wonder what that experience was for her. So little said of her. She was old, she married briefly, she widowed, she worshipped an entire lifetime. And I thought, you know, she could have been doing so many great things, useful productive things. That's the way we think. But according to Luke, all she did was worship at the temple, and it just sounds bizarre to us. And yet, like Anna, here we are. Every Sunday morning, we come back. We come back to these odd buildings with steeples, and crosses, the sign of a Roman execution here in modern America. And we eat from a, a wafer and we drink from a slender cup. What difference could it possibly make? The world looks in and says, that's not even a snack. What's wrong with you? We read from an old book, a very, very old book, a book which a lot of folks think old-fashioned, these days, but you're not among them. Sometimes we sing songs that might be a little predictable, the rhythms, the melodies. Some of us don't even sing them very well, you know. 
Why, why do we subject ourselves to these things? But then we take up an offering. Now that seems relevant to everyone, right? But then we bow our heads. We talk to someone we can't even see. When you join a civic club, somebody will give you a handshake, and if you stick around a few years, they'll give you a plaque. You join the church, and we nearly drown you. <laughs> this is odd behavior, you know. It does symbolize a death. Hopefully we bring you back up. That reminds us of resurrection. It looks so strange to the world. You know, then we open that book up to the person who's been baptized and we say, read this, learn from it. And we hope that they begin to take on the look of its author. But just down the road, Medical breakthroughs and scientific advancements of the most incredible kinds are taking place. We regularly get satellite data from places like Venus and Jupiter and Mars and Saturn now. We can talk to virtually anyone on the planet if we've got the right technology. Put another way, we have access to just about anything and everything. And actually, we have that access right in our livings living rooms right now. We can order these things, and they're brought to our door. This is our world. And the world says to me, don't give me worn-out stories. I want relevance. I want technology. I want information. I want stuff. At Christmas, we buy gifts for loved ones, hoping like crazy that when the day comes and we open these packages, a big smile on their face. Did I get the right one? Is it the right thing? You know, the day that's the busiest at the malls is December 26, when people are taking things back. <laughs> Sometimes they're exchanging them. I just, you know, I want to wear, or wear the right size shirt or the right size sweater or whatever. But sometimes we're getting what we really wanted in the first place. Have you ever noticed how hard it is for some people to accept a gift these days. You know, I observe what's going on in your life, what you like. I try to buy you something, and I hope you like it. And maybe, maybe not. Tough times for the gospel. Forty million people in the last 25 years have walked away. This is God's greatest gift and he wants to give it to us he gives it to us on his terms and that for some people is the hard part because we want things on our terms but across the ocean and halfway around the world there was a 20th century Anna a really steady modern day Anna she wasn't fidgety she wasn't looking for change she wasn't preoccupied with things herself she knew how to worship she spent a lot of time praying and fasting this woman talked a lot about prayer she said we want so much to pray properly and then we fail we get discouraged we give up on prayer listen God allows the failure but he does not want you to remain discouraged she says he wants us just to be more childlike and trusting. 
Someone asked her what advice she would give to politicians, and she said very quickly, I'm not into politics, but then she blurted out, they should spend more time on their knees. She said prayer is as necessary as the air, as the blood in our body, as anything to keep us alive, to keep us alive to the grace of God. And when asked the secret of the spiritual life, she said two things. One of them was, never do anything you know is wrong. The second was, spend an hour a day adoring God. <laughs> it's pretty good advice. You know, had it not been for the writings of Malcolm Muggeridge, we probably never would have heard about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She probably wouldn't have come to America in print or in person, but eventually she came in both. And we might never have learned how much this frail little contemplative who'd given her life to the poor, wore a white sari, which is the clothing of the poorest of the poor in India, chose to live her life not on the cutting edge, but touching lepers and orphans, rescuing people who were suffering from AIDS. We wouldn't have heard about her. She was amazing. She had chosen in the eyes of some to become Irrelevant, or so it would seem. Nobel Peace Prize given to a woman who had three months of medical training. And yet she left the entire world in awe of her love for God and people. Maybe it's because she genuinely had something few people possess today, but everyone desperately needs. People today whose souls have been ravaged and left for dead by the relentless onslaught of things and stuff, material stuff, crave spirituality. And they're looking for it everywhere they can find it. And unfortunately, a lot of it's trendy. And a lot of it really doesn't have anything to do with how we get in touch to God. But here's my premise. People today are hungry for God. They're crying inside for a steady, reliable God who will never, ever leave them, who will never betray them, who will never forget them, who will never walk out of their lives not to be seen or heard from ever again. Our wounds run so deep today. It's why I was just thrilled to hear Phil talking about what's happening here with Celebrate Recovery. But we've all got wounds, every single one of us. I think people today are ready for the profound sense of mystery which the elderly Anna experienced in the temple to invade our cluttered lives and shatter our pain. I mean, I'm ready for it, aren't you? I know everywhere there are people who are hurting. We're eager to learn about the kind of praying heart that took Mother Teresa to live among the poor. We need reliable moorings in anxious times. And too many of us live in constant fear that our lives might be deemed unimportant simply because we don't have the right look, the right gifts, the right job, the right residence, the right project, maybe the right theology or the right ministry. Or maybe we feel like nothing we've ever done is right because we've been told all our lives that we just 
aren't going to make it. And we feel condemned, even in our best actions and achievements. And, and we wallow away in a sense of false guilt and needless shame. But friends, I've got good news for you this morning. The real question is not what do people think of me, but what matters to God. And the point is, you do. And you know you do. It's why you're here. As we begin to answer this question, what matters to God correctly, we might begin to see what took Anna to the temple for the better part of her life. And we might, in some cases, begin to get our passion, our momentum, our mojo back. So many times I hear the words, I'm just not motivated. I taught at a couple of schools for 40 years, not 40 years each, <laughs> combined. And I heard students day after day say, I've just lost my motivation. Why do you assign all this reading? Why are we writing all these papers? Now, I wonder what's behind the words. I can't answer it for you, but it could be a thousand things. I really don't know, but I know this. When I'm not motivated, no matter what excuse I make up, the rock-bottom truth is I haven't been in the temple with God. I haven't adored Him sufficiently. I haven't prayed deeply. I haven't been in His Word. I haven't been loving God. I haven't been loving my neighbor. I haven't been loving my enemy. And we've got lots of them in the world today. And maybe, just maybe, I really haven't even been loving myself very well. When that happens, I lose my vision. I lose my way, my dream, my reason for being. It's such a dangerous place to be. And Anna genuinely knew what matters to God, so she steadily gave herself to Him in worship, prayer, and fasting. And when she was 84 years old, an infant child was brought to the temple one day. She'd heard about this little guy. His birth was stunning. He was brought into the world in a stable, just like the barnyard animals, you know? Just like those lambs that the priests would one day sacrifice, the Lamb of God brought into the world among the lambs. And here's the thing. Immediately, she recognized Jesus because for 63 years she had been praying for this one to come and rescue God's people. And here he was, never wavering in her devotion, always present in the temple. In a word, this woman was steady. So, the 40 million... Americans today may very well continue a lusty pursuit of the novel, spending all kinds of time and money for a new look, a spectacular sound, a momentary taste of something reportedly singular. Always looking for answers. We've been Googling since the 60s. I grew up in that era. We, we were on a search way back then. We may embark on endless journeys, read thousands of books, 
talk to any and everyone about any and everything, but for Anna, the greatest wonder of them all appeared in very familiar, very humble, never boring surroundings, steady, godly surroundings. And so I say if we can ever learn to regularly seek the new in the old, the astonishing in the familiar this Christmas, the spectacular in what has seemed to us to become mundane, then we'll learn to worship God like Anna worshiped God. We join her in the temple as an eclectic Bible story suddenly makes sense for the first time because we're reading it to try to figure out how to raise our kids, for crying out loud. Or when a chorus that we had completely forgotten is sung at the memorial service of someone who's just gone to be with Jesus. And we're reminded we sang that song together as teenagers. It's been a lifelong commitment. Our period of silent fasting liberates us from the tyranny of going after things in this world. And we realize as our stomach is yelling at us and we're trying to calm the stomach down that everything we have, the gravity that holds us here, the air we breathe, all of it comes from God. We're nothing without our maker. A prayer taught us by our mothers comes to life as we teach it to our kids and we see the wonder in their eyes at the very notion of God. The smile on the face of an elder or one of those church moms. You know those moms whom everybody goes to whenever they have any problem because they've lived with Jesus for a long time and they know the answers and we've come to trust them. And the smile on their face at 80 might be toothless, but it's so much sweeter than it was at 50 or 40 or 30. Why? Because they've traveled with Jesus for decades. And they've come to know that they can rely upon him. The truth is, God is in all of these places waiting for us with surprises too extraordinary for a finite mind to even begin to comprehend. And the question is, are we looking for him there? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Anna. Thank you for Luke's record of this amazing woman who never left the temple. Forgive us when we do stray away from you. Encourage us to remain steady and firm in our commitments to you. And help us to live lives of entire surrender, trusting you for every breath we take, every move we make in this world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of questions as we wrap up. We've been talking about worship, and it caused me to think, when and where have you come closest to God? We saw a baptism this morning. I had a student years ago who said, every time I take a shower in the morning, I'm reminded he washed away my sins. <laughs> you know, when did you come closest to God? Your baptism, maybe, maybe it's a walk in the woods. Some, some people connect with God in nature. Maybe 
the birth of a child, the passing of my mother. I remember when she drew her last breath. It was a very sacred moment. When have you come closest to God? Sit with that for just a moment. Try to, try to label it. Try to put a name to it. And then ask yourself this second question. This is my closing invitation to you today. How can you make that a regular practice? <laughs> you know, you were baptized once, but hopefully you shower more often than that. That's a time to remember the one who washed away your sins. It's the birth of a child. Well, how many babies are we going to have? No, we can't do that all the time. I, I understand that. I've only been a witness to it, but I, I, as best I can, I understand we don't do that all the time. But, you know, I have grandchildren now. One of the things I plan to do this month is to write each of them a letter, you know, it was one thing to be there when they were born, another to be there today. The passing of my mother. You might be a candidate for hospice work. That's such a sacred moment. How can you make it a regular practice? I ask it because we're at Christmas, and this is our grand opportunity to call the 40 million back to Jesus. Maybe there will be a practice for you there. I'm inviting you to think today about what that would look like. Thank you for listening to me. I know I talked a long time. God bless you. Hey, we... Uh... Well, we're so glad that you're here today. We're going to be dismissed at this time, but uh, looking forward to seeing you next Sunday, and have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you next week.